Hi. Hello. Welcome to It's a Shame. Yes, welcome. It's a podcast. <laughs> About shame. Uh, we're your hosts. I'm Danielle Nelson. And I'm Lily Rogers. Um, and I'm glad you found us. Yeah. So welcome. This is uh, our second episode of the third season. Mm-hmm. So if you're new to us, you have some fun catching up to do for two whole seasons. Yeah. Lucky duck. Or you could just start here and keep going. Yeah. Jump in now. The water's fine. <laughs> well, um, you know, <laughs> as fine as it can be in these times. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, if you're a returning listener, welcome back. Yes. Always. And thank you. For your patronage. (laughs) Thank you for patronizing us. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lord. So how have you been? Um, I've been okay. I mean, I've been better. I've been worse. I mean, it's really hard to answer the question, how have you been? And it's something I ask people all the time. It's just so standard. Like, I don't think that it will ever leave our just sort of reflexes to ask that question 100 the answers are becoming way less because you know how like when you hear people from other countries talk about americans and our greetings to one another and mm-hmm. they're always just like why do you why do you never answer the question like you're always like greeting is just like hi how are you it's scripted and then you answer it with how are you i'm great <laughs> how are you yeah. you <laughs> ask how someone is so yeah. that you can also ask like the answer to how are you is how are you yeah how totally. are you how are you no how are you yeah. um it reminds me i've been like watching the office um that um episode where andy and dwight are like trying to out favor each other like as soon as one of them does a favor for the first one then they have to do another favor so the whole episode they're trying to be like indebted to each other like constantly like after you no after you like and it's this whole yeah yeah um <laughs> so maybe that's ornamental of my answer of how my life is going i've either watching documentaries about murderers or the office and little in between yeah it's funny because so i started watching perry mason last night um, off a friend's recommendation and it's really good but I also had this thought that like before the COVID times I really feel like a lot of Hollywood was just like we're just gonna go dark like we're feeling dark we're gonna tell dark stories about dark people and that's it's like just foreshadowing it's right but the whole thing is is like when things get dark in your real life sometimes that's comforting and helpful to like kind of enter a fictional world where things are a little bit bleaker or you know, whatever. Yeah. But then sometimes it hits too close to home and you're like, all I want is sunshine and rainbows. Like, right. Somebody give me something lighthearted. Yeah. And I think I've been like oscillating between the two. Like it's been either that I want to kind of be in this headspace where I'm like, well, you know, I'm not being that I know stalked by a murderer. So that's good. <laughs> but then, you know, like the other side of that is, um, you know, the office, which is the ultimate in anti-anxiety viewing because I know the plot. Uh-huh. I know it's coming. I know the characters. It's super formulaic. So yeah. you kind of know how the story is going to unwind. Like, tension is at about minute six. And the, you know what I mean? Like, it's so formulaic. It's just like, even the, and even the tension is delightful tension. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's funny because, uh, have you ever read the fan theories about The Office? Uh-uh. Oh, like, there are so many fan theories about oh, it. Oh, did you just introduce me to a whole new world? Oh, you will fall down this rabbit hole, because I did, and there, there's some <laughs> really fascinating ones. Among my favorites are that Toby is actually the Stranton Strang- Strangler. Yes! Yes! Scranton Strangler. Uh, but there's also this other one that I find so fascinating that uh, the office is actually hell. Because in one, like when Stanley has his heart attack, yes. for instance, like there's this theory that he actually died. And when he comes back, like he's just in the office and now the office is hell. And like, because everybody gets a little bit more like heightened themselves, you know. Well, I just watched the episode where they're like, there's nothing Stanley won't, like Stanley doesn't notice anything. Yeah. Like when he takes the sip of the uh, Jim's coffee and it's orange juice and like he doesn't even realize it yeah or like when uh, he's leaving the office and, and Pam this is my favorite part and Pam's like bye Stanley love you and he like, doesn't <laughs> react at all <laughs> but yeah so there's like that whole theory which I think is fucking hilarious but so within that kind of concept just the fact that the office is such this like otherworldly place that they rarely leave like you rarely see the outside world of scranton and even when you do it's like usually for like at somebody's house or yeah it's usually through the lens of a character or (laughs) yeah yeah. which is also in itself 
kind of hellish. <laughs> but there's something kind of comforting in that because it's like this very like enclosed specific world mm-hmm. that is its own thing. Yes. Not to make this whole episode about The Office, <laughs> but, you know, in the last episode that I watched, it's when um, Cece gets baptized, mm-hmm. uh, christened, mm-hmm. and um, I was like, damn, this is just really good writing. I'd, I had forgotten that, um, you know, they're, they're doing a whole church thing, so you have to be like, and they skirt the line so beautifully with their writing that it's so inclusive. Anyone, could, like my parents love it, for mm-hmm. example. I love it. And there's this great buried joke for atheists and agnostics, which is that Cece gets shit on her christening gown. Yes. And she has to get christened in an Arcade Fire t-shirt. And I was like, <laughs> damn it, that's just good writing. Oh, I didn't because, even notice what they changed her into. All I know, it's like an oversized t-shirt. Yes, and it's an Arcade Fire shirt, <laughs> which really I'm like, funny. yes, this is amazing. <laughs> I was like, this is just, it's like so enjoyable. And like, if you don't know, you know, that could be a joke that would just go over your head. Oh, totally. But then anybody who's a fan and who like leans into that persuasion ideologically, like, I loved it. I was just But like, maybe more evidence that you know it takes place in hell because they can't even like get a church situation to be like what it needs to be or whatever yeah because isn't that also the episode where everybody comes and they weren't planning on it so they run out of food yes and And everybody's super like angry and (laughs) which is just such a fucking nightmare if you're hosting an event to have like too many people show up and you're like this is why you rsvp well it's like the minister announced it to the whole clergy and like they weren't (laughs) expecting that and they're just like um it was supposed to be intimate Mm -hmm. yeah so good oh my gosh maybe (laughs) we should do an office fan podcast on the side with our free time that would be amazing um do you want to do some brand new information yes please um, so I have some brand new information and it's so new that I'm not going to do it justice. I can already tell you that. Um, okay. so get excited. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I was, uh, I looked at a friend's Instagram story last night. I've been having crazy insomnia. So like in the middle of the night, like anything and everything, even though the thing that I recommend the most to my clients is like, do something static. If you have to be on your phone, don't go on social media. It's too interactive. It's going to like pique your curiosity. I go on social media when I can't sleep because Mm. I'm terrible and I don't take anyone's advice, let alone my own. Um, so anyway, she was talking about her relationship with her therapist and she mentioned, uh, I think he passed away. And so she thanked him for a couple of things he had introduced her to. and, And she said, and thank you for the concept of the hungry ghost. And so I sent her a message and I was like, I've never heard of this. I'm going to look it up right now. Well, it's a Buddhist term. And um, apparently, like, it's basically the idea of the hungry ghost is so in Buddhism. And again, like, I I don't know anything about Buddhism. I just started a little Wikipedia spiral at like 2 (laughs) a.m. So there are um, essentially like these different spirits And one of the spirits is the hungry ghost. And so the hungry ghost is somebody who's driven by intense emotional needs in an animalistic way. And so they're always hungry. They're always needing more. And we often give in to them. And, like, they they have, like, full bellies and drawings. So they're, like, constantly gobbling it up. And so I was reading about it. I loved the concept. Um, It was very soothing to read about Buddhism. And then I sent her a message and I said, I love this idea of hungry ghosts. And then she solidified it for me when she said, isn't it a shame to feed something but never nurture it? And it blew my mind. Hmm. And I was like, this idea of like this hungry ghost being, um, it could be addiction. It could be a person who is very emotionally manipulative, who takes up like a lot of your time Mm -hmm. and you give, 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 but like, it's not, it's not able to nurture you back. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. So, like, giving to something, but that you either can't nurture because it's toxic or that it will never get to the point of, like, a healthy nurturing. Right, and it can't. So, like, the idea essentially is, like, they're, um, so people become ghosts when they die, but this ghost is just, like, this hungry ghost. It's, like, um... Every Buddhist right now is just like deleting the podcast from their app. They're like, essentially, like, and again, that's why I'm like, I'm going to butcher this, but it, essentially, it's like um, the idea is like, um, I'm trying to find a way to like 
summarize it. Mm. Basically, like, okay, so Hungry Ghost. <laughs> So it's, it's more of a concept yes, that they yes. use as metaphor. Well, it's for... an origin, like it's an origin myth. Like so, it's one of these things where it's like um, it's uh, it's analogous to something, right? Like it's just like it's analogy for right. this. So it's like the idea, I think, is like it's a ghost, like it's a spirit world. It's always like it's it, so it has like this desire, this desire, like it's a state of being, right? Okay. So like the state of being of being a hungry ghost would be like when you have something that. Um, for example, like people have described and we all kind of feel this way, like we have a hole to fill, right? So like that empty kind of like nagging, whatever it is. And then you just fill it. Maybe you fill it with food. Maybe you fill it with alcohol. Maybe you fill it with sex. Maybe you fill it with the office, the office, (laughs) (laughs) but it's, it's that desire. That's the hungry ghost. Okay. This this desire to like fill that space, Uh, but it doesn't fill anything. Right. So it's like insatiable. Yes. So, and that's why I like to feed, but not to nurture. Mm. So like to fill the, to, to think that you're filling the longing mm. and drinking is such a good example for me. Drinking is my hungry ghost. Like I, um, sometimes it can be mm-hmm. like if I'm bummed or I'm, I've had a rough day or whatever. And then sometimes I'll drink and I'll drink too much mm-hmm. because I'm like stressed. And then I'm just like, and then I wind up drinking too much. And then the next day, not only do I feel kind of out of it, but I didn't fix the feeling. Right. I didn't address anything. I didn't gotcha. nurture myself. But in the moment, I felt like I did because I was like, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm feeling a little light. I'm feeling better. Fuck this. Yeah. Da, 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 da. And the next day, I'm just like, I fed into it, but I didn't fix it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If I'm if I'm understanding it correctly, I can definitely relate because I think that for me, a lot of the time, it's like doing relaxation activities or like vegging out or whatever does it serve you or even just like binge watching tv sometimes yes but the thing is is that there's sometimes when i'm doing it where it's just like an unfillable amount where like i will do it for a couple of hours in the day and then i just want to stay up later so Mm -hmm. that i can keep doing the like distraction activity or the like leisure activity for me recently it's been paint by numbers which is gigantic paint by numbers and it is I really want you to put a photo of it on Instagram oh I will and I'll show you I'll I'll, I'll update to my progress and like by hours that it's been taking me because I feel like I paint and paint and paint and paint and I'm not getting anywhere it's it's gonna be beautiful when it's done (sighs) yeah (laughs) but I mean I so I'm trying to think like um Okay, now this is going to be the Hungry Ghost episode um, <laughs> where we never really describe what a Hungry Ghost is because I'm just trying to um, conceptualize it. But essentially, yes, I, it's that idea of you feed something, but you don't nurture it. So in other words, it's to maybe that is a bad way to phrase it. Mm. Um, maybe the Hungry Ghost portion of this episode is in and of itself a hungry ghost. <laughs> yes. The hungry ghost itself is the act of trying to describe a hungry ghost. Um, also, brand new information. Uh, maybe I should research my brand new information a little better. This is brand new information to me. <laughs> no, I think it's, you know, I love, like, I mean, same. Half-baked brand new information. My brand new information is totally half-baked also. Um, but, Yeah. I think you should jump right in. I think we've exhausted Hungry Ghost. All right. Well, uh, yeah, sure. I'll jump in. Um, So I found this actually on one of those websites that's like, fun facts. Because I was just like, I haven't learned anything new. I've been just like so head down working constantly. So whatever. I found this fun fact that I was like, ooh, I'm interested in this fact. So apparently, did you know this? I don't know. St. Lucia. The island? Yes. It's the only country named for a woman. Really? Yeah. So I did a tiny bit of research and I probably have my facts wrong, but the UN recognizes... Welcome to that brand new information. (laughs) We should rename brand new information false facts. False facts. (laughs) Alternative facts. Alternative facts. (laughs) Facts that we kind of know, but not really. Mm Uh, that's why it's brand new. It's it's a uh, it's a place to learn. And we're explore. like drunk uncle, that SNL character, yeah. where he's just yeah. Well, hey, you know, maybe we can give listeners out there who are better researchers than ourselves or have 
you know, some time to devote to it, something to look up and correct us on. Yeah. <laughs> at ShamePod on the socials, come at us with your hungry ghost uh, corrections. Yeah, then we can start brand new corrections. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so I guess the UN recognizes like 195 sovereign states and St. Lucia is one of them, and, but it is the only one named for a woman. And so then I was like, but how many places are named, or not, how many countries are named for men? So... About 23, 24 in total are named for like real people, I think. Mm -hmm. And then there's a bunch that are named after like biblical figures. So I guess that's arguable if they're real or like figures of legend, you know, so a lot of countries are that, but yeah, it's the only one that's like solidly named after a real person. So then I was Mm -hmm. like, who is this St. Lucia? So it was St. Lucy of Syracuse and she became a saint. Uh, you know how does anybody become a saint she had like a dream or a vision or some shit like that Mm. but get this so her mother was sick with some sort of mysterious bleeding disease (laughs) I'm I'm immediately like is Saint Lucy trying to kill her mother she's poisoning her slowly and she's like I've been having a vision and also no she was like really this uh, you know devout person uh, so her mom's sick and they go on this pilgrimage somewhere Suck it up someone um yeah so anywho they go and to get her mother healed so uh saint lucy has this dream from where saint agatha visits her who had been like dead for a while i guess but tells her like your mother's going to be cured because of your like devoutness um, and her mother does end up being cured. And so then this Lucy, is the most Catholic, Catholic shit I've ever heard in my I know, life. Right. So then Lucy is trying to persuade her mom because they come from a wealthy family. So she's like, look at what God has done for you and look at what like this miracle that happened and you're cured. So she's like trying to persuade her mom to like distribute their wealth to the poor. Oh, I bet she got an island named after her. Well, so <laughs> she was supposed to marry this um, guy from a wealthy pagan family. Mm. And when he finds out about her, like, like Christianity and her... No, well, no. Uh Uh-oh. Too soon. (laughs) Too soon. (laughs) So when he finds out about her trying to, like, distribute her wealth to the poor, he's Mm -hmm. like, fuck that shit. And he tries, or he, like, uh, rats her out, basically, to, like, the governor of Syracuse. And that guy is like, oh, this bitch be practicing Christianity... And trying to give away her wealth, she must die. So <laughs> they tried to kill her. Oh, they did kill her. Uh, but there's, like, all these stories about how she died. Like, some involves, like, her eyes being gouged out. Some involve, like, them strapping her to, oh, like... It's like some Passion of the Christ shit. 45 minutes of all the different ways of torture and sacrifice. Right, right, and, right. And, like, they... I think they tried to, like, tie her to some oxen and, like, light her on fire, and the fire didn't take, so somebody stabs her in the throat with a sword. Like, there's all these stories, right? Okay. You know, how saints become saints. Yeah. But have you ever noticed that the way that women become saints is, like, always more horrifically violent than the way that <laughs> men do? Um, I don't know a lot about the saints, but I don't find that theory hard to believe at all. There's this wonderful um, part. I can't remember if it's in her stand-up or in her web series but hannah gadsby mm-hmm. um is talking about one of the female saints and like how she had to like learn to play the cello to become a saint like all <laughs> like do all of this like crazy shit right and like this other dude can't remember his name he becomes a saint because he had a dream that uh the virgin mother squirted milk from her breast into yes his i've eye. heard about this one yes i might have talked about this before because i fucking love that story and i think it's hilarious but uh yeah so i was just like man, it takes a lot for women to become saints, first of all, and then to get anything named after them, secondly. Yeah. So there's that one little country, and, you know, yeah. good on them. Good on them. Of course, it was named by a bunch of French explorers who were probably men, and they were probably hot for Lucy, but whatever. Yeah. You're like, also, Lucy bears a striking resemblance to Penelope Cruz. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know. She's and, topless in every photo. It's so strange. You know, and of course, in, like, her mythology, like, she had, like, she was a virgin and all that. You know? Oh, you have, you have to, be, to be, right? Yeah. yeah, you got to. Yeah. So, yeah. anyway, that's that's my brand new information. That's a good one. Yeah. And it was really well-researched, I thought. 
You knew a lot about the different means of torture by which she became a saint. <laughs> That's good to know. I mean, those are... You know, the things you look up when you're, you know, in COVID. Yeah, I know. I mean, well... That's my life. I'm out here reading about Buddhism, but apparently not absorbing much about what I'm reading. So there's that. Um, so um, that's the beauty of brand new information. Yeah, I mean, well, also another. This is like a brand new information that has all these brand new informational segments and tidbits for me. One of which now being maybe the shit that I'm reading when I'm not sleeping at 3 a.m. is not going to translate at, you know, 8 p.m. the next day, having done zero research on it. Well, it's like anything that you... Because your brain feels so acutely aware at those hours. Like, you feel like you're really on it, and you're, like, really, like, invested in what you're reading or thinking about or Mm -hmm. doing or whatever. And it's just like having a super vivid dream that yes. is so detailed where you can yes. like see the scales of a fish swimming past you, like yeah. that sort of thing. And you're like, yeah. I will never forget this because yeah. it is so like... It feels so vivid it's so right vivid. Now. Yeah. But then you wake up the next day and you're like, what yeah. the hell did I get up Something to at 2 a.m.? ghost. <laughs> and I'm like, oh. <laughs> did, was I visited by a hungry ghost? Was I a was hungry I, ghost? Was I just hungry? Yeah. Did I need a snack? <laughs> and I saw a ghost. <laughs> what? Did a snack, or did a ghost bring me a snack? <laughs> I love the idea of hungry ghost. It's just like a snacking ghost <laughs> in the night. He's just like, I'm going to sit on the edge of your bed and snack. Just like, I'm hungry. <laughs> Stomach's growling. It wakes you up. Although I don't know why I go to like, if you're visited by a ghost at night, it's just sitting on the end of your bed. Yeah, I like the idea of my, I want my ghost to be like <laughs> leaning over the open refrigerator door when I walk in the kitchen. Do you know who is the hungry ghost? Who? Um, in, what the hell, Christmas Carol? Mm-hmm. The ghost of Christmas. Which one is the one that's like super big and feasty and kind of like... Is he... Pe- Past, present, or future? I can't remember. I think he's past. He's kind of jolly, and he's always eating. I don't know. Is that just in the Muppets version? (laughs) Maybe. I don't know, because I always thought, was it past, like, oh, we've been impoverished? Because it's Dickens, right? Yeah. No one's one's overweight in Dickens. Well, maybe they are. They're bankers, though. So which (laughs) which of the ghosts was a banker? (laughs) All of them. All of the ghosts. No, uh, yeah, maybe it is just the Muppets version, because I can see it sort of clearly, where he's just this sort of, like, jolly Did you just come up with a new Christmas movie that we need to watch? I've never seen Muppets Christmas. You haven't? Is it Muppets Christmas? It's Muppets Christmas Carol. Muppets Christmas Carol. Okay, we have to watch that this year. I think it might be my mom's, one of my mom's favorites. Yeah. But, yeah, it's it's super fun. Yeah, it's, yeah. And of course, every, oh, the, whole, the gang's all there. Oh, you love that. <laughs> Even Rolf. Yeah. Love it. Yep. <laughs> it's good times. <laughs> anyway. So you want to talk about uh, Shame Origins? Yeah. So this week we are um, on the recommendation of a friend. Mm-hmm. And I think listener. Yes. Yeah. Well, we are going to kind of uncover or unpack or, you know whatever you want to call it, the origins of the word shame and the concept of shame, kind of like the etymology of how it developed and how we got here. And just kind of talk about the beginnings and, yeah, just just some, just some beginning stuff. And we did some light research. Yeah. So I mean, as you may have, if you're a first-time listener, you may have picked up on something about research and the lack thereof. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you're still listening, it's not going to get better. Um, it's just going to get, no, actually I do have like a couple things written down. So there's that, but let's see if I can piece them together. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What what you got? Some things. Um, no, I mean, I think, well, maybe we should start with sort of the etymology of the word. Do we have things to say about that? Yeah. So I did a little bit of research, um, not a ton, but so in terms of the words themselves, it looks like there are two separate theories about like, well, I guess I shouldn't say two separate theories, but two different origins for the, the word shame. Um, one of which is, uh, uh, origin is in Norse language and it's, uh, Karodi. Um, and so the meaning of the word is cheek redness. 
Mm-hmm. So essentially, it's like a would be a physical manifestation, like ruddy cheeks or blushing or a bodily manifestation of shame, feeling hot in the body. Um, and then the other one was an uh, Anglo-Saxon English word, uh, scamu. Um, and uh, I was reading about, this is so interesting, words that apparently start in S-H, very often if their origin is in the English language, uh, the H was once a K. So mm-hmm. the word is uh, scamu. And it means uh, that's where we think shame is derived from in the English language, and it means disgrace or or dishonor. Mm -hmm. And then in German, there's um, Schamund um, de Schande. Wait, Schamund Schande. Never, I'm so sorry, German people. I'm so sorry. <laughs> They're like, what is she saying? And you know what? Maybe <laughs> just forget that part. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so that's that's what I have on that. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah. Uh, so I like to, I didn't get very far, but I like to look at uh, sort of the source words for other words and kind of how they like change and morph a little bit. And they think that the word sham is connected to shame. And I think that that is a really interesting tie because it's sort of like... scam. It means like counterfeit or fraud, right? And I think that that's interesting because when you're feeling shame, a lot of the time that it manifests in feeling like like you're a fraud or that you're like not who you... Thought you were. Thought you were or... Or who you should be, yeah. or like your how you present yourself isn't how you really are. Yeah, um, I think that that's kind of interesting. I think that um, because I think about uh, imposter syndrome a lot. Cause I think I have a slight fear of success, and I, I I can imagine feeling that like if I found like a high level of success in something like novel writing or whatever, I would just constantly feel like an imposter. Like mm. I'm not smart enough to be here. Yeah. Like I'm not well read enough to have been yeah. like, successful in this field. Um, and I've heard, you know, people in the entertainment industry and stuff talk about imposter syndrome a lot. And I think that that's kind of an interesting tie because I bet that has a huge origin in just personal shame. Yeah. You know, just feeling like you're maybe not good enough mm-hmm. because worthlessness, the sense of worthlessness, worthlessness is also so tied in all conversations about shame. And I think that in some ways we all kind of have this like, well, not all of us, but a lot of us have this sort of sense that like, I'm not worthy of the things that I have yes, or the success that I've experienced or, yes. you know it's what I mean? Not, yeah. It's like not representative of, who you are, who you think you are, who other people have told you they think you are, and you know what I mean? Right. And it, it's, it's, um, it's a departure of the idea of self, which I have so... That's, that's where I really, like, my bread got buttered while like, <laughs> researching this topic. Like, the, the kind of, like, you know, as much as I love a way with words, um, like, I, I was fascinated in the reading, but the thing that really really struck out or stood out to me um was that I I came across this uh writer an academic her name is uh Luna Dolezal and she apparently has written some things that we should definitely take a look at one of which being a book called uh The Body and Shame uh, Phenomenology Feminism and Socially Shaped Body um and so I I came sounds right up our alley yeah it it looks amazing (laughs) I did I scanned it a little bit but I came across this paper that she wrote, and it's like it talks about Sartre's idea of um, shame at, at, from an ontological sense. So in the essay, like being a nothingness, um, I swear to God, I'm gonna land the plane. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sartre basically is like shame. Shame informs one's existence, and in the sense that it creates an other. So this idea of like someone else gives their perspective or acknowledges you exist in a judgment or personal reflection of how they see your personhood. Yeah. And you feel the shame and therefore you exist. So in feeling the shame, you not only acknowledge that there is someone else because that's the person who's made the judgment of you, mm-hmm. but you acknowledge the self because that means that you 
you had a construct of what the self was to begin with mm. that it would you would be able to like establish an identity right based on that and then out of those kind of that that self perception like mm-hmm. out out of that comes like the idea that we exist that we have personhood yeah i mean it's i, I really like that concept or way of thinking about it because when I think about shame and when I was looking up like some synonyms for shame for instance like let's talk about some synonyms so some that I found or um you know was kind of particularly drawn to are like disgrace dishonor uh undignified Mm -hmm. infamous disreputable debased um you know all of those types of things did I say undignified I don't know um but I feel like I heard it. Yeah. So like, but all of those things, because I, when I think of shame, I think of it being like a really like sort of ingrained, uh, inherent, like super personal emotional well, identity, feeling. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's, like that's a woven into your identity. Right. But when you think about all of these synonyms and all of these words that are connected to shame, all of it has to do with societal judgment or somebody else's judgment against you. Like disgrace, for instance. Like if you bring disgrace on your family, it's because you did something that made other people or the society around you ostracize, shun, or otherwise judge you and the people around you. Uh-huh. Like a scandal is the same thing. Right. Like if you have a scandal, you've done something that society deems like disgraceful. Yes. Dishonor. Yes. Same thing. Like right. all of those words have so much to do with other people. Whereas when I think of shame, it just feels so much more personal. And I think that that is interesting has- to unpack because, hey, guess what? Shame is something that gets brought on to you by society and other people. 100%. And even though it may be something that you more put on yourself because there is that whole connection to selfhood and, and uh, like recognition of self and mm-hmm. understanding your that you have emotions and that you relate to other people in the world and then maybe you did it wrong or you're not quite up to par or whatever and then you put that shame on yourself, it still is just a reflection of the world around you. Yes. And like, and that you are othered by people. Right. Like the idea that you would be, that their shame is like a way of creating like bound ethical and moral boundaries in a way yeah like it's a way of kind of like creating an identity in terms of like um we shame people into trying to fill the roles and and fit the molds that we want them to shame is very often used for manipulative purposes in that way othering someone into feeling as though you know and we've talked a lot on the podcast about how Advertising is especially yeah. good at this when, with regards to women and making them feel inherently that, that they don't have inherent value unless their eyelashes are longer, their yeah. tits are perky, or they're 25 pounds thinner, right. which I'm sure Luna Dolezal's book is all about. <laughs> I, bet, I bet there's a lot of that. Probably. Yeah. I, and I mean, yeah, totally in that same vein, it's like, yeah, trying to sort of get people to toe the line of a societal norm by making them feel like they don't fit into that norm. So what is, like, there's a whole process. It's like champagne. Champagne. Oh, Lord. Help me. <laughs> shame campaign. Oh, my God. Shame campaign. Sorry, Stephanie has a shirt called Champagne Campaign, so that's why I But I still her. like yeah. champagne, shame campaign. Champagne, shame campaign. <laughs> Let's make that a shirt. Champagne, shame campaign. Yeah. It sounds like some of my shittiest hangers. Over. Yeah. Just champagne, shame campaigns. <laughs> <laughs> New Year's Day is always one. Oh my God, isn't it though? Yeah. Oh, 100%. Or a Sunday fun day aftermath on Monday. On Monday. Yeah, you and I have <laughs> talked about that. The the sh- the champagne blues the oh, next day. So strong. So strong. I don't know what it is. I, maybe it's that I feel so light and lovely when right. I drink champagne. You're just lifted then, up on those bubbles, and when they burst, it's a real dark place. It's so dark. I, the worst <laughs> headaches of my life. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> champagne, champagne. <laughs> but yeah, like shame campaigns. It is. It's like it's like. It could also be. I'm sorry. One more. No, no. <laughs> champagne, shame campaign could also be a really good theater mouth warm up. Oh, like, there's yes. a lot. Like yes. it's really like unique New York champagne shame campaign. 
right? <laughs> I think we should pitch the uh, American Actors Guild or Meanwhile, Paolo's like, God, stop popping those mics, girls. <laughs> I know, I know. Poor Paolo. Long suffering. <laughs> Champagne, campaign. Um, Sorry, uh, you were saying. No, I mean, I think that, yeah, it's just, it's interesting how systems kind of get taught about how we can shame other people to make them adhere to what we want them to do. But Mm -hmm. it doesn't work because it ends up just breaking people and making them feel more isolated and less part of society and less a part of whatever norm they're supposed to conform to. Like, I don't, it's just not a good tactic. Or, I mean, one of the things that also happens on a psychological level is sometimes people are shamed. They take on the shame. They cling to it so desperately as a form of identity. And then they begin to shame others for the same thing. And it becomes like internalized hatred. And I think we see this with like, (laughs) internalized like self-hatred when it comes to people who have internalized misogyny or internalized homophobia internalized racism like people who belong or say they belong to those communities and yet they still harbor these like beliefs and ideas that are detrimental to that community that they say that they serve and I wonder how much of that that kind of behavior could be linked to a sense of shame. Yeah. Well, I think that there have been studies that have been done that, you know, narcissistic personality disorder is, like, very tied to yeah. shame, like, deep yes. internalized yes. shame. And then also I was reading about, um, I need to read more about it because it sounds pretty interesting, but there was a study that was done um, with, like, different age groups, and they were tying shame, guilt, and anger together in a study. And they just, the three of those are so intertwined that it's bananas like shame and anger especially muses yeah exactly (laughs) is the angry or hungry ghost in there somewhere yeah (laughs) Um, that is the hungry ghost yeah (laughs) uh uh, the father the son and the hungry ghost um (laughs) sorry Uh, yeah, I think that, I mean, shame is never going to bring you to a place of positive emotion, right? Like, no. or positive action. Well, it's meant to diminish you. Right. I don't, you know, because they have also these studies where there are different societies. So there's like, um, like guilt centered society, f- fear, fear societies and shame societies. Mm. So like where the tactics are, like it's been said a lot that America is a guilt society. So we are really living in um, a guilt sort of stasis where we fear punishment or Mm -hmm. like judgment in the afterlife, you know, because of our strong Christian puritanical ties and all Uh of that. Whereas they say a society like Japan is more, like, shame-based because it's about, like, honor and pride Mm. and, like, kind of more about the self. Like, if I do this, like, how will I look or how will I be shamed? And then there's a fear society, which is, you know, obviously what it is. Well, I think that's interesting, too, because, like, the idea, we talk a lot about guilt versus shame, right? The idea of guilt being the more focused on the action, which would make sense in American culture that it's very, like, action and transactional based. I mean, that just And never turns inward. No, whereas in Japanese culture, that's very interesting that it becomes a, a... linked to personhood. Right. That the shame would go deeper. It's not just about an action. It's about, like, what the act makes you. Mm-hmm. That it's, like, intrinsically tied to you. Then you have ownership of it. It's not just, like, I did a bad thing. I am. No, I am a bad thing. Right. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it makes sense to me because at first I was like, no, there's so much shame in American culture. But then when I really think about it, I was like, no, we are way more guilt-heavy because we don't, for the most part, ask people to look inward and have sort of any sort of connection to their deep yeah. sense of self. And that's why I think that a lot of people in a guilt-based society have a really hard time facing shame and mm-hmm. facing their own mm-hmm. internalized shame. And why one of the reasons we started this podcast, because we're like, people don't talk about this shit. No, they don't. We're too afraid to. And you know, I, I'm, I keep, we 
when we talk about shame and we talk about guilt and we talk about America, I can't help but thinking about Christianity. Yeah. And so, like, the idea of there being this kind of shame and guilt and it being a guilt-based society um, and, and they're, you know, predominantly... I mean, I don't know if it is anymore. I, I was going to say Christian country, but I don't know where we stand. Um, <laughs> just seems like a lot of Christians everywhere. Oh, no, it's still very richly Christian. That's what I would think. Um, yeah. Um, so the idea, but I just remember, like, being a kid, like, when I think about Christianity, like, growing up in a Christian environment, um, in a Christian household, I would say that it, a lot of it was much more guilt-based than shame. And I remember yeah. thinking there was such relief at the idea that, like, even if I committed a sin, I could later, like, repent for it. Right, And, right, like, right. ask Jesus for forgiveness, and he right. would forgive me. And then I would even ask for forgiveness that I knew at the time that I was going to ask for forgiveness. Right, right, I was right. already, like, <laughs> cross-examining myself as Jesus in the moment. Mm-hmm. And then kind of being prepared, like, how I would make my case when it was time to you know, and totally. I feel like that that kind of thing didn't really the the kind of Christianity that I think I grew up with it it was like these acts, right? right? Well, you can argue yourself out of guilt, right? That's yes. the whole you know judicial system, right? Yeah, but you can't argue yourself away from shame, right? It yeah, doesn't really work very well unless you do some really hard work to face, look at. And explore shame. Guilt is so much more, like, cut and dry, black and white, easy to, like... And shame thrives in isolation. Yeah. So, I mean, the idea is that you would, I mean... You You would never expose it enough to argue it. Right. That's right. Yeah. So, the idea then would be you abolish, I mean, which is the point of this podcast, Mm -hmm. you abolish shame by talking about the things that you feel shame about Mm -hmm. so that we put them in the light, we dust them off and say, like, no, this is not... We're not going to stand for this. We're not going to allow this to be something that culturally that we all say, yes, we agree that this is something that it's like, no, absolutely not. Well, you know, and even if we can't, you know, fully get rid of it, because I it, I don't know if that's possible. I think just giving it like airtime and putting it out there, like airing your dirty laundry, if you will, is really powerful in and of itself so that you can live with shame in a healthier way than closeting it. Yes. Because I think, yeah, that's where you get into these really tricky zones of just tamping everything down, hiding, 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 and you never you never get to what's really going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, but it's interesting, though, speaking of Christianity, because in the Bible there are so many references to shame. I mean, the whole original sin, you know, and them being ashamed of their bodies. And yeah. Uh, it's funny because a lot, a lot, a lot of the references in the Bible seem to be about like nudity, nakedness, women, women's bodies. So there's also like, um, oh no, I'm going to get it wrong. Mary Magdalene, the, uh, mm-hmm. I would call her a sex worker. I mm-hmm. think they call her a prostitute. Gave um, Jesus a pedicure yeah. with her hair. Yeah, <laughs> she, gave him, <laughs> she gave him a pedicure with her tears in her hair. And, you know, and he like forgave her or whatever. So that story in particular, and then we can get into the nudity and the body work stuff. But uh, it, it's so frustrating to me because when I look at that and they're like she was a shameful like she was shameful she, she, was, was, so... she was a person just wrought with shame because of who she ha- was mm-hmm. and you're like okay now let's not look at the society around her that forced her into sex work yeah. as her only option Lily do not bring this up at Sunday school <laughs> they are going to ask you to leave <laughs> yeah you already brought that up <laughs> exactly but it's like hey why should somebody be shamed for circumstances that were not mm-hmm. in their control? And even if it was totally in her control, she had the means to do something else and she decided this is what she wanted to do. Why is that shameful? Well, I think it also, like, if you shame someone else for a behavior, like, that's why shame is such a dangerous thing when we try to put it on other people. Because when we do that, what are we saying about ourselves? Right. Are we trying to take some kind of moral high ground when we shame other people for doing things? Like, Yeah. No, that's absolutely what most, yeah. the majority of it is. We're trying to get, like, a like an upper hand, the, the, the moral higher ground where, yeah. And so that's all that is. And yeah. it's not even really usually about the other person. It's about the person and sling in the shame. It's right. about their own needs, their and, own vanity. And it always drives me crazy when people are like, no, but there are just certain truths like that, like like sex work is bad or like, you know, 
this type of person is mm-hmm. bad. And you're like, how can that be true when, yeah. like, societally we shift and society agrees and nobody feels that those things are bad anymore? Like, right. you know, like, interracial marriage, bad. Yeah. You know, it was, like, illegal and yeah. deemed very, very shameful for, in many places, for so long, this country included. And now that it's way less that way, people like us look at that and go, like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, how could that have been a source of shame for people? Which I think is why that the whole internal moral compass thing is so important and it's so valuable to speak out about the things that feel wrong on a guttural level. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, when you are being shamed for something and you, there's this part of you and usually, like, I don't know, we've talked a little bit about this, but this thing that when somebody tries to make you feel shameful for something that you know on some level like it just doesn't ring true yeah but again it thrives in isolation totally because it's reliant upon you not turning to your peers your community your whomever you know whoever it is and saying I don't know, this didn't feel right because you're not supposed to talk about whatever it is in the first place. Well, and that's why, you know, I think we've discussed this so many times on this podcast, but I will continue to be a champion of this concept. And I know that you are too. This is why representation matters and people's stories matter. And, And having a voice to talk about your lived experience, even if it's the things you're supposed to like keep quiet and never talk about and like polite society doesn't discuss and it's indecorous to say this, like, no, it's really important for us to talk to each other about lived experience, especially, you know, things that, you know, happen in childhood that we have no control over Mm -hmm. or, you know, things about our bodies that we have no control over, um, you know, things that happen against our will that we have no control over, or even things that we've done willfully and mm-hmm. because we were ignorant and didn't and know better. And have since learned. And have since learned. Like, let's talk about those things because, yeah, that's a huge source for so many people. And I've just seen, like, a lot in myself even of, like, things that I was just like, oh, God, I can't talk about this or I have to feel a certain, like, shy way about this certain thing that I have done or I'm into or whatever, kind of fall away hearing more and more and more from other people on Mm -hmm. the internet or, you know, in my own society, like, even in my own friend groups, people just opening up more and being more free to talk about their experience. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, there's, like, a macro lesson in there, which is essentially, like, if you're slinging shame, you then have to be become aware of what the long-term ramifications of doing that are. Yeah. If, if you're going to put that on someone and you understand the concept of shame, you've been shamed, you know how it impacts you, even if you feel like it's the right thing to do, it's like we have to really look at the context and like what are the ramifications of shaming people because – I, I, I still find myself doing it. There are things I shame people about. I mean, I notoriously tried not to do it, but then, like, would do it behind people's back when I was a vegetarian. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, And now all of my vegetarian friends just shame me. Um, <laughs> um, no, they don't. Oh, God, are they? Um, but, yeah, like, I, I mean, I, I try not to do it, and then when I find myself doing it, again, I have to kind of think about, like, What's this about? This is about you. This isn't really about them. And so I feel like Mm -hmm. the onus, again, like the macro level piece I'm talking about is like, it's up to all of us to really, really be careful with that. Well, yeah. And I think that there is sort of that shame campaign culture where you kind of learn that and it's, it's easy to slip into because you, you, you recognize that like, oh, if I can be a part of this campaign against this person, then I don't have to think about myself and I fit into some sort of herd or group and nobody will notice like... And you get the moral high ground, which feels good. You feel superior. And you have some fucking sense of control or, you know, whatever it needs. But I think that that's the kind of behavior that you let that go too long or, you know, something doesn't click or happens or early in life and then you end up with like a pretty severe personality disorder that's based yeah. in like some sort of shame-based trauma that yeah. never gets addressed right and is i mean i know that a lot of my issues 
stem from shame of many varieties. And had I been able to contextualize them in any way mm-hmm. or work through them in any way, I would be a healthier adult human. I know yeah. that for sure. Yeah. No, I, I, well, I mean, it's, again, it's like so contingent on you not being able to talk about it though and not yeah. being able to contextualize it. It, it. Shame is, you know, only works when we don't talk about it and when we don't, even for the things that you've done that you may feel guilty about. I was trying to think about something that we shame people about pretty openly. Um, and the thing that, uh, this is very California of me, but the thing that's coming to mind is like littering. Oh, like yeah. We very openly shame people <clears throat> for littering. Yeah. And like, in shaming anyone, you're just making them kind of like, def- you're going to put people on defense. You're going to make people feel, you know, oh, litter bug. You know, yeah. like, sh- you're a shitty person. You're a trashy person. You don't care about the environment. You, like, these big, like, judgment calls. <clears throat> yeah. As opposed to the alternative, which would just be, like, having a conversation about it. Or, you know what I mean? But, yeah. like, there is this kind of, like, environmentalist high ground that's, like, well, you know, they litter. You know <laughs> what I mean? Or, like, well, if, if it says anything about the kind of person they are, they're a litterer. Yeah, I mean, I have a tough time with that stuff because, I mean, I hate conflict, so I would never like outwardly say anything to somebody who I saw littering um on Me the street. Uh, <laughs> I would just probably pick up whatever they drop. <clears throat> but excuse me. <clears throat> having dry throat issues. Um but I think that it's it's kind of difficult with stuff like that where it's like what's the difference between shaming and kind of shaping (laughs) somebody's behavior where, you know, for instance, this is happening a lot right now. So the littering thing, I would say for the greater good, don't litter because it's affecting other people in a negative way. Mm -hmm. Um, Same with people who aren't wearing masks right now. Yeah. Like I do not blame people for Telling somebody else that they see in a store or a open public space, like, hey, can you please put a mask on? Mm-hmm. Like, that should be kind of a no-brainer. And people are getting, like, so irate and so angry and so uh, combative about those things. And I'm just sort of wondering, like, what in your world keeps you from wearing a mask and keeps, like, what... And I I do think that some people, like some of those people, just don't want to feel silly or don't want to look silly. And like, and that has some internalized shame elements to it too, right? Where like they got made fun of for something that they wore or did, or they didn't know how to like follow the rules correctly and got like scolded for it. Or, you know, so I think that a lot of people are just like combative about like public displays of rule following because in some way they have been shamed for not understanding rules or not being able to follow them in the right Right. protocols or right ways. And so I think that there's a lot of that going on, but because our society doesn't talk about that stuff. It's just this angry us against you. Mm-hmm. Fuck you for not wearing masks. Fuck you for telling me where to wear a mask. You know, like, let's fight it out. And Again, instead, it's, it's like, shame. hey, where's the compassion? It's the shame. It's that shame-based behavior, too. Like, there's a difference in what you're saying. Like, there's a difference in a person who's not wearing a mask in a store and I mean, then we start to, I mean, talk about ideology and we start to really look at like, what does it mean to shame someone versus mm-hmm. like to educate them or to connect with them, right? Shaming them would be like, you right. know what? You're a really <laughs> shitty person because right. you're not wearing a mask or <laughs> you're horrible or you don't care about others or yeah. making this judgment call. Well, oh my gosh, exactly in that vein, you know, <clears throat> we talked about this last week, but I think it's, you know, or discussing again because I think that a lot of people are having a hard time um, having certain types of conversations with family members or friends who don't always see eye to eye. <clears throat> Excuse me. I don't know what's going on with my throat. You should drink <coughs> wine. Yeah, it's wine time. Uh, sh- can I get some champagne? <laughs> <laughs> we only have sham champagne in this house, but I can, I can summon the, the hungry ghost to get it. <laughs> But I think that there is sort of that hesitation on some people's part. That was like a hugely failed throwback. I'm trying to do circle back humor. <laughs> <laughs> and I just 
really beat it over the head. I was did, like, did it fail? I'm sorry. I was just trying to stay on track. No, that's good. You <laughs> I was like, should. what am I saying? You should. I mean, here I am just out here trying to understand what humor is. So I'm oh, just please. Like you know more than most. Oh, oh God. Okay. <laughs> okay <we're> sorry. <laughs> Okay. You you were you Where were, was I trying to land my plane? Um we were talking about Yeah, oh yeah. I think I think basically just sort of like either the the reluctance to seem like you're shaming somebody else or on their part to feel like you're shaming them by sending information or literature mm-hmm. or like things to read and look at that you feel like might help somebody who doesn't understand a certain situation or who might just like get information from different places than you do, but you're like, they would find this helpful and they're never going to see it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I'm not trying yeah. to shame you or call you ignorant. I just think that this is something that on the shaming versus educating yeah. spectrum where yeah. it's hard to find the balance of that. I feel like my my style is very, like, I've been sitting here, like, thinking while we're talking about this. I'm like, okay, well, how would you handle it? Like, say, for example, there is someone... Well, first of all, I avoid them, like the plague. <laughs> which, by the way, um, bubonic plague was discovered in Colorado. Oh, and squirrels. Yeah. yeah. And before that, in, like, marmots or something in Russia. I don't love it. They were like, don't hunt marmots anymore. I don't even know if that's the animal. But they were like, don't hunt them anymore because they're rife with bubonic plague. And, yeah, now there's one in a squirrel in Colorado. <laughs> This is the end. <laughs> um, Talk about the Bible. I was yeah, so I was like, I felt like I was, you know, beating beating a dead horse, which is a terrible phrase. It's a terrible phrase. Yeah, so I felt like I was really going over the top mm-hmm. uh, when I said, um, if I see someone without without a mask, I avoid them like the plague, which right. just seems like too much. But I was trying Little to on en- the nose. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was trying to envision like, what would I do in a situation if I was like. If I was try, if I tried to educate someone in a store, and I feel like the first thing that like I could think of was like maybe if they were within earshot, I would be and like and then I'm like God, this is the most like passive aggressive. I was just example. gonna say it's a tiny bit passive aggressive. Yeah, they're like within earshot. So number one, I'm already like okay, <laughs> like this is not some like Plato's allegory of the cave shit where I'm just like let me just tell a quick story and hope that something resonates with you, right. dear listener who's within earshot. Like, <laughs> So, so ridiculous. Um, but yeah, I, I don't even know how I would address that. I think, I think, I don't know that I avoid confrontation, but I do think like, I don't, it, unless it's blatant and it's something like where I really, like if it's, if it's the physical actual harming of another person. Right. Like if somebody's doing something to an animal, you bet your fucking right, bottom right, dollar, right, right. like I'm going right. to be in their shit. Right. Like one time I had a really intense experience in a thrift store where I saw someone like physically abuse a child and like I had to make a decision about like how to handle that and like um so how I handled the situation but I think again it's because I'm a social worker and it's a training was I remember going over to her and asking her if she just needed a break and if she wanted like are you okay like it's okay like do you need a break do you need to step away and she directed all of her anger at me which I knew was pretty much going to be the case right. and then I like lied and said I had a kid and it was like this whole fucking weird thing but like I, I don't know how to because I didn't want to come in hot and be like what the fuck lady? Right, you know what right, I mean right. but like I felt like I had to do something well it's so hard because tensions are so high amongst anybody and especially like nobody's really giving anybody the benefit of the doubt anymore we're all just sort of like ah reactionary um, so it is really hard to sort of come at it from like an educated place or a, a place of well-meaning where you're like, hey, can I just share some information with you about mask wearing and why it's important? Like that person is not going to be like, oh, yes, please. You know, and I just envision like when I'm trying to walk out of Trader Joe's, I'm like, do you have a minute for a Yeah, exactly. You're trying to like pass out like, pamphlets. Not right now, I don't. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, you know, too, I think that a lot of people have a hard time stepping in because they... You know, when they see something like that, like, I would have a hard time with that because I would just feel like I have no tools. Like, you're, you're saying, like, your social work background would yeah. help you out in that situation. Like, just as it probably would if you saw somebody, like, having a hard time on the street, you know, like, clearly needed help of some kind. And you're yeah. like, I kind of have more skills for this. I know more what to do. I would maybe know who to call. Yeah. And I think a lot of people just kind of have that, like, 
a blinder on to stuff. Like, there's no, like, there's not a lot of good Samaritans out there anymore, yeah. to bring it back to the Bible. Um, because <laughs> I think that, first of all, we're all angry at each other, and we don't trust each other. And a lot of people kind of have this shame sense. Like, if I go up to somebody, I'm not going to really know what I'm doing. I'm well-intentioned, but, like, they're just going to yell at me and make me feel, like, bad about myself. And yeah. I don't have the space for that right, right. now. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that that's a... a a modern conundrum that we're into, you know, where it used to be like neighbor helps neighbor. Like, you know, you're really a community and you help each other out. I think we're getting a little bit more isolated in that sense because of the divisiveness of this nation. And then also just the, the nature of like a lot of people and you never know what you're going to be facing. Mm -hmm. And the feelings of like those, we used to call it shy uh, feelings from my childhood definitely come out when I think about approaching strangers where it was really difficult for me to like come mm-hmm. out of my shell or whatever. Like yeah. all of that stuff totally returns to me where I feel like I'm an unqualified person to approach another person and tell them what to do. I think every one of us is. Yeah. I think every one of us is regardless of like training or tools. We just can't ever really know like, yeah. what the other person is going through. Like you just like you try to meet people where they are and like you try, you know what I mean? Right. It's so hard because you, you don't know. Right. You don't know. Um, this has been a really good conversation. It has been. Yeah. I mean, I thought we were just going to talk about words and here we go. <laughs> uh, there are certainly a lot of words. <laughs> there are always a lot of words the between us. Words. Um, no, this was, this was good. This was, um, this was a good conversation and I, I'm excited that, yeah. um, I'm really looking forward to the rest of the season. I think that we have a lot of good stuff coming. I do too. I do too. Um, we were podcasting at my house tonight, so it was a little bit of a change of scenery. Yep. And I don't know if you've been hearing a wind chime, and I apologize for that. I am not a wind chime person. <laughs> and there was a beautiful wind chime at Cost Plus World Market. Um, they're not a sponsor, but they could be. Um, <laughs> and it was $6 in a beautiful uh, orange color. And I bought it, and I put it outside the door, and I said, it's going to annoy the shit out of me. And I don't hear it anymore because it's been up there uh, about a month. And I am acutely aware of every time it's gone off tonight. Like, I've just sat here and every time it has, like, made noise. I've been like, shit, I should have taken that I am the hungry ghost. Yes. Uh, uh, So frustrating. But um, (laughs) Feed me more wind. Yeah. (laughs) To feed but not to nurture. Um, Yeah. So if if you're a first-time listener... Thanks for staying till the end. Yeah, and hopefully that you come back and enjoy what we have to offer. Um, you know, and if anything, hey, we are a jumping off point for some interesting research that you could do because Lord knows we haven't done it. Yeah, we haven't <laughs> done it, and we want you to correct us. There's no shame yes, in please, it. Please, 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 because I love learning, and the more I can from other people, the less I have to do it on my own. There's no shame <laughs> in correcting us. Yeah. Uh, so you can do that at shamepod at gmail.com or on the socials at shamepod. At shamepod. Um, Yeah, and uh, we will be back again in a week. Yes, after we go camping. We're going camping this weekend. Mm -hmm. I'm going camping for the first time as an adult. It's our big summer vacation. Which, you know, (laughs) with social distancing. Yeah. I just feel like um, I've been saying that phrase a lot. Like, it's my first time camping as an adult. And I feel like I just turned, like, 18 last night. And I'm like, I've been camping a million times, but now that I'm 18, I'm camping as an adult. Like, I'm just like, what a weird way to phrase it. But I want a way to communicate with people that, like, I went camping as a kid, but, like, like, now I'm a real person and I'm trying this. Well, I mean, I think it conveys very much, like, this is the first time camping where I'm in charge of, like, my own well-being. Yes. So, um, thank God that I'm go on that note that I'm going with people who know what they're doing. Yeah. You're in good hands. Yeah. I, I, I feel prepared. I feel like I, I've gotten my, the creature comforts that I need and I'm excited about being in nature. I'm excited about having downtime and some time to reflect. Yes. Um, Get that hammock out. Yeah. Uh, I got a travel hammock at Lily's Urging. and uh, <laughs> Hammock life forever. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> I put it up in the yard to test it it's out. Game and changer, like, man. God, within a matter of seconds, I was just like, 
okay, so we're getting a hammock. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like, I don't know why we haven't had one yet. It's the best. Um, but, yeah, so we'll check back in next week. Yep. Once we're back from, from the great wilderness. Yeah, we'll have very many stories to entertain you with about, you know, our bug-eaten selves or whatever happens to us while camping. <laughs> so uh, if you check us out on the socials, um, you might just want to keep Brianna Taylor's name in the news and in yep, your headlines yep, 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 because yep. the cops who arrested her are gloating and uh, it's pretty gross. Fox and uh, yeah, so forever. arrest the cops who killed Brianna Taylor. Please, please, please. Um, defund the fucking police. Um, follow yep. us on the socials. Engage in the conversation and yep. tell me about... Um, Tell me about hungry ghosts. <laughs> Please. All right. Thanks for tuning right. in. We'll Thanks, guys. See you next, next Tuesday. Tuesday. Bye. Bye.